0: Chapter Thirty-Three of A Broken Bond. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patrick Seaton. A Broken Bond by Nicholas Carter, Chapter Thirty-Three. Will he score? Winthrop Crawford was not satisfied, however. His anxiety was centered about the welfare of his old friend, and he could not lose sight of Stone's continued absence from the Windermere. "'But what are you going to do about Jimmy?' he asked eagerly. "'Don't delay, man. Hunt him up as soon as possible, even if you have to defy Fallensby and mess things up generally in order to do so. Don't worry about that, Crawford. I'll look out for your friend. He may have spent the night at Fallensby's house.' At any rate, the doctor is a marked man, and if Stone has gone anywhere with his companion, it ought to be a comparatively easy matter to trace them. You can't stay here, though, while I'm doing it. Why not? For various reasons. If you did so and Stone came back, it would be hard to act as if nothing had happened, and he would be watching you with lynx eyes, waiting to see the effect of the injection. I haven't had time yet to analyze the original contents of the syringe, so that I can't say just how the stuff is supposed to act. In order to be on the safe side, though, you'll have to leave the Windermere for the time being. If you're out of their sight, they will not be able to keep tabs on your condition, and we can easily enough make them believe that the disease, which they suppose has been introduced into your system, is following its normal course. But won't Jimmy think it strange if I disappear after I am stuck to him so long? Stuck to him against his will? We can leave word for him, write him a note, and make some excuse that will sound plausible. Yes, I could do that, the miner agreed. Where do you want me to go? I haven't thought of any particular places yet. That will come later. But it is necessary that you should go away at once. Furthermore... I want the people here in the hotel to see you and me go out together. Crawford soon became convinced that something of the sort was desirable. He was very reluctant to leave the hotel before learning anything definite concerning Stone's whereabouts, but there seemed no help for it, and Nick promised to let him know at frequent intervals whenever anything new came up. By half past nine o'clock, Crawford and the detective... The latter, once more in the guise of Thomas Mortimer, were eating their breakfast in the dining room. Making a pretense of eating, however, would be the better way of describing the half-hearted way in which the man from South America toyed with his food. Before ten o'clock they had left both the Windermere without giving anyone a hint as to their destination. So far as the detective knew, he was the only one on the case, therefore it did not occur to him to keep Chick advised of his comings and goings. Crawford took with him nothing in the way of baggage, therefore they were obliged to purchase a suitcase and enough clothing for a few days. That done, they boarded a train at the Grand Central Terminal, and about half an hour later alighted in one of the northern suburbs within sight of Long Island Sound. A motor bus from the hotel met the train and took them to a huge pile of masonry on a hill overlooking the water. It was one of the best-known hotels in the neighborhood of New York, and much frequented by those who wished to go away from the bustle of the great city for a few days. There Crawford registered at Nick's suggestion, under an assumed name. They had parted, and the detective was already descending the steps when the miner ran after him. I just thought of something that may help you. To an understanding of poor old Jim's condition, Crawford said breathlessly. It has occurred to me that he used to knock about the mine with his hat on last year, and all that broiling sun. and that many years ago, when he was a boy, an axe had hit him on the skull. He was watching somebody chop wood, and the head became loosened and flew off the handle. Isn't it possible that that injury affected him somehow? But that the trouble didn't manifest itself until recently? Nick nodded. There may be something in that, he said. The exposure to the sun may have developed a latent disease, somewhat in the way photographic film is developed. I'm glad you told me of that. It makes clearer than ever that your friend is a victim himself and should not be judged harshly. That's it, Crawford agreed eagerly. It deserves all the mercy you can show him, Carter. I'm positive that if he ever returns to his senses, you will be absolutely heartbroken to hear what he has tried to do. I tell you, Jimmy Stone loves me like a brother. He would rather cut off his right hand than harm me. You must save him. Save him from you first of all. And then from himself. If you do, there's nothing you can't ask of me. Nick ignored the generous promise. The affection of man for man is a wonderful thing, Crawford. He said quietly. I'm glad to have known you and have this proof of what loyalty means. I must go now, though. Try to have patience and take things as quietly as I can. I'll do my best for Stone, and telephone you from time to time. As he returned to the station, the detective felt sure that his promise to Winthrop Crawford would greatly hamper his movements, but he shrugged his shoulders philosophically. Fallen's is a lucky rascal and a keen one, he thought. He has remained in the background and even that telltale conversation I overheard last night doesn't seem destined to be used as a weapon against him. He's certainly stolen a base or two, but he may yet be called out at the home plate. End of chapter 33